how the hell are you doing? How are you right now? Ask yourself that. How am I doing right now? Sometimes it's nice when people ask me that. Somebody asked me in the last episode, had it in the show notes, the Q&A, and uh, he just asked, how, how are you doing, man? So it's always good uh, when someone else asks you that. So I'm asking you, how are you doing? You know, and then ask yourself that. How the hell, how the hell am I doing? How am I feeling right now? Am I communicating? Am I uh, feeling all right? How's my mental health right now? Such a good question to ask. And I think a lot of the time we're expected to take care of others and we do take care of others, especially we got families and jobs and responsibilities. And, uh, you know, maybe we're in the other end of the boat. We're just trying to uh, hold on to a job or find a job or not drink ourselves, uh, drink ourselves, uh, the depression, the anxiety, the, the anger, all that stuff. We're trying to, uh, not deal with it through addiction, through alcohol, Uh, by numbing out and everyone's in a different boat. Everyone's in a different situation, I guess, is what I'm getting at. And so you can sum that up though, as we're all in the same situation in the sense of how am I doing? What does my situation look like? And uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about the five worst things you can do for your body. Uh, It's an article that I found in the Addiction Recovery e-Bulletin. And then I'm actually going to go over some of the Addiction Recovery e-Bulletin. I always like this because I don't ever dive into it too much and do a lot of pre-production and I kind of browse over it and look at some of the headlines and then uh, just do the show live and actually go through them. Some of them that I that look interesting, I'll click on and some I won't. So uh, we're going to do that in just a couple of minutes here. But first, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health. Uh, negative impacts from anything in life. Uh, Maybe it's some ups and downs of a job. Maybe it's financial issues. Maybe it's this coronavirus stuff. You're locked in inside all the time and and everything's different. There's all kinds of changes going around. Social life has been a little bit difficult right now for a lot of people. If you're struggling through any of that or the pains of addiction, mental health, alcoholism, uh, look, there's no better time than right now to get the help you need. This can be an opportunity for you Maybe it's your loved one, a friend to get back on track and then finding the real you. I know for me, that was one of the biggest things is like, I didn't start to learn who the hell I was till I was like 32. It's like, who the hell is this guy? The Shane, the Shane Raymer guy. I didn't even, I didn't even know because there's numbed out forever. But man, that was such a great opportunity when I look back now to get back on track and it can be the same for you. Uh, Let me tell you this too. You're not alone. You know, there's hundreds, thousands of other people that have gone through this, that are actively going through it. And that's one thing the enemy tries to do is isolate us. And, and with all that's going on right now, uh, isolation is has been intensified. Uh, so look, here's what you can do. Promises Behavioral Health is here. They can help you. Um, and let me tell you how you can reach out to them. You can get some questions answered. Uh, you can look at their resources. Uh, go to promisesbehavioralhealth.com slash sober guy. They've created a great page over there for our partnership. There's some good resources on there. They have some online meetings uh, for those of you who are looking for that. Uh, or you can just call. You can go 888-205-1890 in the old telephone, old school style. Give them a ring, 888-205-1890. Tell them that you heard about them from that sober guy podcast. Uh, let me give you a couple more resources too. If you go to www.thatsoberguide.com slash get help, 
uh, or you just go on the website and just click on the get help tab. Uh, you're going to see some resources on there. There's some meeting finders. Promises is also on there. There's also the daily AA Zoom meeting that's on there. That's a daily meeting at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. It's a great spot to get plugged into. I refer a lot of people there. I had a, a, a buddy uh, hit me up today and said, hey, man, I'm really struggling. Um, you know, And I said, hey, hang in there. Don't drink. Let me give you the info to this meeting. Check it out tonight at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. And uh, it's a great starting off point for somebody who is, uh, you know, who's looking to get sober, struggling, or somebody who's been in recovery for a long time. Good, good stuff there. All right. We're going to go over the addiction recovery e-bulletin today, like I said. And uh, let's start. The, it's good, like old school style. Let's start the show. <laughs> that Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Shane Raymer. You're listening to That Sober Guy podcast, and we help people stay sober. Be sure to check us out at thatsoberguy.com. You can connect with us on Instagram at Real That Sober Guy, on Twitter at Shane Raymer, on Parlor at Real That Sober Guy. Gonna be a good episode today. Glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. If this is your first time here, welcome. Uh, we are a community of like-minded individuals who are trying to stay sober, speak some truth, have some fun, all that good stuff. So glad you're here. Lots of episodes to choose from. I think this is episode 333. And uh, go back and check them all out. If you're just checking us out for the first time. So one thing before we get started into the addiction recovery e-bulletin, um, I just wanted to, uh, to to kind of address here since the beginning of this show, which I started back in 2014, you know, I've always shared my life, uh, my opinions, my journey really with an open heart and an open mind and, and, and with the intent to help myself stay sober. I mean, that was the original goal of this, like, man, some accountability. I love media. I love um, producing, writing, all that stuff. And, and then maybe in turn, man, if I share my own story, I can help some others stay sober in the process. So that's always been the foundation of that sober guy, uh, platform, that sober guy podcast, the community, everything. And, um, you know, I was thinking as the show has grown over the years, uh, I don't think, and, and I still don't, I still don't even up until now, sometimes I don't think I've realized uh, the growth of the show because I just kind of put my head down and, and do some, some fun interviews with people and some monologue stuff. And I try to speak my heart, um, you know, and I don't think I realized the influence that it has had, you know, and continues to have on people and their recovery. Uh, and I say that so humbly with respect to myself, with respect to, uh, of course, all our listeners with the least amount of ego as possible. Um, you know, I'd say no ego, but I think that's, that would be just be bullshit. I mean, there's, and I, I, I'm just saying like with the least amount possible, I'm very aware of it. It's, uh, it's there, it's in all of us. And I try to, to keep it under, you know, under wraps. Um, but I've been doing some reflecting on, on, on this kind of topic the last week. And I've came to somewhat of a conclusion here. Um, in the last couple of episodes, you know, I chose to speak out about how I've really been feeling. I had people ask me that, like, how are you doing? And I was really hesitant to, you know, to, to talk about it. Um, and, 
you know, they, they asked me, how you feeling lately? Like truth, like deep, you know, deep down. And so I went there and, and, you know, I laid out some facts around, you know, some facts and my experience around what is going on up here in Northern California, specifically Solano County with regard uh, to the virus thing, the, the, the quarantine thing and other related things, school closures for our kids, um, you know, and, and there's a list of, of some things that kind of entail all of that together you know, real life shit that affects so many of us, right? Especially those of us who are parents and, and husbands or wives and partners. Uh, but look, just for the record, uh, just for the record, I, I, I want to say this. I've never claimed, nor would I ever claim that the coronavirus isn't real, that it's not a threat to people's health. Uh, it's very real. There's many people who are fearful of it. Uh, it can be deadly in some cases. I know people personally who have been sick from it, um, you know, period. And I just want to express my, um, you know, my thoughts on that. And we have to practice good health habits. We need to wash our hands. We need to exercise. We need to take vitamins. We need to get sunlight. Um, you know, there's a lot of different factors that go into personal responsibility when it comes to taking care of our own health. Um, that said, I do not agree with many of the solutions to this situation, especially when they affect the mental health of my family, my kids' education, uh, others in my community, listeners of the show, and so on. And that's why I chose uh, to speak up. So I just want to say on record, um, you know, for those of you who love the show, who the show have helped, who um, enjoy it, you have my commitment. I will continue to share my experience on this podcast as I see fit, as it relates to recovery, as it relates to living a good life, a free life, a sober life. Um, I'll continue to share my hope on this podcast. I'll continue to speak my mind and speak the truth. Uh, I am an advocate for mental health and recovery, and I would never put uh, anyone's health at risk. Uh, and I'll continue to practice speaking up, even if it doesn't match the mainstream narrative and it offends people like that's, you know, that's what I'm going to do. So, uh, if the show's helped you, if it's helped a loved one in any way, uh, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Like we appreciate the support. We love all of you who understand the battle we're up against, uh, when it comes to mental health and when it comes to the freedom, uh, to live a good damn life, man. So love you guys. Thanks for all the support and stuff too. Let's jump into uh, into this recovery uh, e-bulletin here. Now, if you want to get the recovery e-bulletin, you can go to addictionrecoveryebulletin.org and uh, you can sign up for the email. That's how I get this. It gets delivered to my, to my inbox. Uh, and this one is a weekend report that was delivered uh, on Friday as, as the weekend come out. So it's interesting. They have some good articles. Um, they have uh, a lot of different topics related to recovery. And uh, sometimes it's fun to, uh, to kind of go over them and check out what's going on in the recovery world uh, in the recovery news and all that kind of stuff too. So, uh, man, the first, uh, first topic on the list here, war on drugs kills three more. I mean, not a very, not a very, uh, great topic to start on. Uh, but that's the reality of it. I feel like, and, and the headline is mother and children likely perished as a result of overdose. And, uh, man, this one, this one's a tough one to read, you know, even to start on. I mean, I'm looking at a picture of these two beautiful little girls here who, um, who lost their lives because of their mother's addiction. And it says, uh, 
A missing Forney mother, this comes out of Forney, Texas, uh, found deceased in Farmer's Branch on Thursday, most likely died of an overdose. And her two children subsequently perished due to a heat stroke after being left in their car seats in the back of their vehicle uh, for more than a day, according to law enforcement officials and the family. I mean, just absolutely horrific um, to even think uh, you know, about the, Oh man, it makes me just want to puke right now and, and cry. And just, you know, I have kids. Um, it's, it's really hard to think about, you know, what, what went on in that. I don't even want to think about it. I mean, Oh man, it says friends and family were immediately worried about chambers disappearance because of a, uh, a history of drug and alcohol abuse, but a recent bouts with depression, according to a family member who did not wish to be identified. Uh, she struggled with it. Um, she got some help in the past. She was an amazing mom. Recently, during COVID, uh, she became more depressed. Uh, obviously, she relapsed. Uh, and then we're all devastated that the girls had to witness such a tragedy and suffer themselves. So um, says they went searching for her and the kids. Um, let's see. Looks like they, they they searched around the town. They checked videos, all that kind of stuff. Uh, they eventually found the car. Uh, parked in a parking lot off of uh, looks like off of Midway Road and found all three of them deceased uh, in a blue Ford escape just after 10 a.m. Uh, on that Thursday morning man I mean how so so let's let's kind of break this down a little bit from from a different perspective too here is how would you um, okay so so we have the situation of the mother and her girls which is is terrible enough how about being the law enforcement or the, the medical professionals that have to go process this scene and uh, uh, deal with this, deal with the recovery of, of the bodies and, um, you know, uh, conduct an investigation and find the evidence. And I mean, that finding a scene like that has got to do something to you, um, you know, mentally, and how do you deal with stuff with, with having to work through stuff like that? Um, you know, and like I, I had my, my boy, uh, Ken, I don't want to give out his, his full info, but he's a police officer and I happened to be on the phone with him as he was finishing up, uh, uh his shift the other day. And, and, uh, um, and you know, he, I heard a conversation, um, of, of somebody had came up to him and said, Hey man, like, you know, I'm 30 something days clean now, you know, and, uh, I just want to say thanks, man. Like, like straight up. Thank you. You know? And so, you know, there's a lot going on with, with law enforcement and, and I get all that, you know, there's tons of different opinions. Um, man, I support our law enforcement. I don't support stupid, you know, people who, who create or do, um, uh, bad things regardless of what organization they're in. Um, no doubt, but you know, we got a lot of good, good police officers out there and, uh, some of them are my homies and, um, you know, they, they not only deal with criminal stuff, you know, but they also deal with addiction. They also deal, uh, with loss of life from, from addiction, just like the, you know, the, the folks that had to go find, find these bodies and not only them, you know, firefighters, paramedics are our first responders on the scene. And, uh, you know, that's why it's just important that, um, you know, we try our best to support that community as well and that they have resources and groups and, um, and, uh, and, and, and meetings, 
for their own mental health as well too. So I just wanted to point that out real quick as I was kind of reading this. It just kind of, kind of came to to my thought here as um, you know being in that position of having to do that work now. Contrary to that, the other side of the coin, how about the family, you know, that's having to deal with this, that's having to, um, you know, that's having to go through this just terrible thing. I I can't even imagine. I cannot imagine. And and once again, addiction, um, you know, in, in, uh, in, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Integration, incongruency, whatever the hell the word is. I'm not sure exactly. Um, you know, with depression, anxiety, addiction, all of it kind of coming together, you know, we've, we've lost a, someone who was a mom who was probably a, a, a sister, maybe a daughter, of course, uh, and, and, and the kids to that too. So this is why us in the recovery community. And I, when I say us, I mean, me, you listening, like all of us are in this together and, uh, we're all trying to, to, to manage our own recovery and stay sober ourselves, but we're also, obligated no matter if we're in day one or day you know ten thousand we're obligated to how many day how many years would that be actually let's do that real quick hold on a second here i said day ten thousand how many years would ten thousand be let me see here ten thousand i probably could have done this probably could have done this in my head because i'm so smart (laughs) let's see 27.39. 27.39. So 27 years. If you had 10,000 days, you'd have roughly 27 years, a little bit more than that 27.3. But regardless, point being, regardless of what day you're on, we all have an obligation to, to serve others and, and to, to help and to speak out. And when someone reaches out for help, um, you know, we should try to do our due, due diligence and best, uh, to, to either be an ear just to listen, uh, to, to, uh, you know, suggest a meeting, suggest somebody to reach out to, um, something like that, man, because th- stories like this are just so, so terrible, man, especially when there's kids involved. Um, this next one down the list says drugs. What, what America gets wrong about drugs in this video, uh, Maya Slavitz, public policy and addiction journalist, Carl Hart, professor of neuroscience and psychology at Columbia university. Um, Looks like they they're breaking down what America gets wrong about drugs. It's actually a video, so I don't believe we're going to go over the video. But if you want to see it, it's at uh, uh, addictionrecoveryebulletin.org. You can find all these articles posted there, uh, and that link will be in the show notes too. Uh, Recovery Unplugged addresses addiction in minority communities in the mix of one of the most significant civil rights movements in years. Recovery Unplugged has been taking an in-depth look at the lesser discussed issue of addiction in minority populations, um, including how income disparities and disparities and insurance access affect treatment and recovery. That's more at PRNewsWire.com. You can check that out in there. An exciting vision for you. I'm sorry, an exciting vision of you. The joyless vision of sobriety couldn't have been further from the truth. Uh, Quitting alcohol has been fantastic for me, but I avoided telling people for fear of being thought boring. Understandable. How many of us have thought about trying to get sober, trying to to quit, and then you're like, oh man, what's that life going to be like? It's going to be boring. I'm going to be bored. There's nothing to do. I can't have any fun. Not true at all, just for the record. Uh, I have more fun now than, I mean, I had a lot of good times. Don't get me wrong. We had some fun for sure. Uh, but 
I don't miss that type of fun because God, I always felt like shit the next day and most of the time. And, uh, it was just, it was exhausting and it got old after a while, to be honest. Uh, but he says, I was scared that I wouldn't be able to dance anymore. I can't dance anyway. So that doesn't matter. Uh, I was scared to have sex with the lights on, uh, or do any number of little, little things that make life work living. I'm sorry, life worth living. He lives Mark Morton. Oh, this is a good one about uh, the guitars from lamb of God. Uh, Mark Morton, he accepted dying from addiction. Let's uh, let's check this article out here. This comes from metalheadzone.com. Oh, let's see here. On Twitter, Lamb of God guitarist Mark Morton addressed his followers, revealing that he once suffered from severe addictions and reminded them there's always hope. Last month, the talented guitarist of Lamb of God, Mark Morton, announced that he was sober for one and a half years. That's dope. Congrats, Mark. Really awesome there. One and a half years is uh, even just one year. One day is freaking great, right? But you get to that year mark. I know we celebrated a couple of those last episode, a couple of people who had a year. And then uh, you, you know you go on from there. But Mark explained the difficult process of letting go of all the long-going habits and urged his fans who had the same problems to get some help. Uh, recently on Twitter, Mark Morton shared the details of his previous alcohol and opiate addictions and called out to his followers who were also struggling with addictions of this sort. Apparently, at some point in his 30 years of addiction, Mark gave up on his life and accepted that he was just going to die. How many of us have been there? Have you been there? Uh, maybe you're there right now. And I'm just want to tell you, man, there's hope. Like, don't give up. You know, I know I felt that uh, at, at some point towards the end where there it was just like, whatever, I'm just going to die anyways, and I don't care. You know, and that's a terrible attitude to have. God has so much more for us in this life when we open up to it. You know, so don't give up, man. He said, uh, so Mark, however, later he asked for help from those who were also recovering from addiction, uh, which led him back to life again. Uh, in his tweet, Mark addressed to his fans and followers who are in the same situation. There's always hope, even when they felt all hope was over. Uh, he said, I drank alcoholically for 30 years and suffered crippling opiate addiction for 10. I thought I'd never have my life back and accepted that I'd end up dying from addiction. Then in desperation, I sought help from people in recovery. If you feel hopeless, please know that there is hope. Uh, and that, that was the tweet that he put out too. So that's good stuff right there, man. It's always cool to see people who, um, you know, are at one point hopeless. I mean, a 30 year addiction is a long time. Uh, and then to pull out of that and realize that there is a new life out there, uh, no matter who you are. It can be done, and uh, you just got to reach out and ask for help, man. We think asking for help is a sign of weakness. It's not. Uh, it's actually one of the greatest signs of strength that you can do. Uh, for when I'm weak, I am strong. So, you know, think about that if you're if you're feeling, especially if you're one of them manly dudes out there. You know who you are, dad, dad, done of a bitch. Got just I'm just working and I'm just doing my thing. <laughs> I know it because I am it, baby. You know, we 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 think that we got it. And uh, man, asking for help, it's not a sign of weakness. You can do it too. So I urge you, man, you're not alone. If you need some help, reach out. Please do it. There's lots of uh, lots of resources and meetings and people that care. So uh, Too Much Saki, a film. Uh, let's see. I, a life turned upside down. My dad's an alcoholic. The source material is Mariko Kikuchi's autobiographical online 
Manja, Manga, the title of which translates literally as my father who becomes a monster when he's drunk causes me pain. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, narrated, narrated by the innermost thoughts of a daughter during the 25 years she spends watching her father drink himself to death. Wow, that is tough. So you can check that film out there if that sounds like something that's interesting. Um, all, how many of us have had parents who struggle with alcohol or addiction or have watched our parents uh, as children struggle with addiction? Um, I've seen it firsthand. You know, and for those of you who've heard some of my story, I'm not going to get into it today, but uh, you, you know, you know, and, and that's a tough thing to see as a, as a child, you know, growing up. And, and in, even when you tell yourself you're not going to do that, and then one day you find yourself doing it, uh, man, I can relate to that, you know, and just watching your, uh, your, your parent, you know, go through that. And uh, it can be extremely tough. You know, whether you're, whether you think back about it as a kid or maybe you're still actively going through it, that can be tough too. All right. It's bang time. Drinking the star blast today. Should try to get bang as a sponsor. That'd be a great sponsor. I would just do it just for free bangs. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, so you can check that one out there. Um, what is it on? More at Variety for that video or movie or film, as you'd like to call it. Mysterious brain structure sheds light on drug addiction. Hmm, this looks into. Hmm, that's interesting. Do you guys remember Hank the Drunken Dwarf from uh, uh, Howard Stern and Beetlejuice? He would say that. Hmm, that's interesting. Hank the drunken how did that guy get away with that shit Howard Stern on that show having Beetlejuice and Hank on there he would make them fight Hank was a drunken dwarf who ended up dying of alcoholism like gosh that's terrible man but I gotta say I laughed because they had some funny ass skits on there during that time um, no doubt I'm sure you can probably go back and catch them on, on YouTube or something but those were funny in any case, mysterious brain structure sheds light on drug addiction. Do you remember when you were first? Do you remember where you were when you first heard that two planes had crashed into New York twin twin towers, or where you had your first kiss? Our brains are wired to retain information that relates to the context in which highly significant events occurred. This mechanism also underlines drug addiction and is the reason why hanging out in an environment or with people associated with memories of drug use often lead to relapse. Interesting. Hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> How our brains create this strong association, however, is less clear. Now, new research by Professor Ami Sitri and PhD student Anna Terim at Hebrew University of Jerusalem, Edmund and Lily Safara Center for Brain Sciences and the Alexander Silberman Institute of Life Science shows that a relatively obscure brain region known as the claustrum plays a significant role in making these connections. They published their findings in the latest edition of Current Biology. Hmm, interesting. Hmm, that's interesting. The researchers' findings fit the idea of incentive salience, the process that determines the today, Junior. I'm stuttering, you stuttering fuck. The process that determines the desirability of an otherwise neutral stimulus. For example, a candy store facade 
becomes very attractive to kids after repeated associations with the rewarding treats that lie within. In time, children unconsciously learn to want to see the store stimulus, which is separate from their liking the actual candy reward. Wow, that is insane. Taking a closer look at how context becomes associated with cocaine, the re- cocaine, baby. <laughs> The researchers found a group of neurons within the colostrum that lit up during cocaine use. That's not the only thing that lights up during cocaine use for me. Further, these neurons are pivotal pivotal in the formation of incentive salience that links context with pleasure of cocaine. Here's the problem with the pleasure of cocaine. It only lasts about nine minutes and then you got to do more. So uh, I don't recommend that. Don't recommend that drug. Glad I uh, glad I disconnected from that one. Gosh, terrible. Uh, let's see. It goes on to, to talk a little bit more about some of the, the research that was done. I don't want to read all of it because it's kind of uh, hard to follow without looking before. But in any case, interesting stuff. Brain structures, shedding light on addiction. How in the hell they find this stuff out is so fascinating, though. Like even just reading the bottom of this, if I go back to it by recognizing that the claustrum, I keep saying it like that, plays a pivotal role in creating a context association for reward. It becomes a structure of interest for the field of addiction. We hope this knowledge will lead to new development of new diagnostic tools to identify populations susceptible to addiction, as well as new therapeutic approaches. Good stuff. Very, very interesting. Let me click out of that there. So. You can go check that one out at uh, more at Medical Express. That'll be uh, on the site there. You can check it out. Check this out. Tra- tragic, it says. Woman dies after drinking alcohol on empty stomach. Oh, man. That is definitely tragic. Let's see what the hell happened here. Uh, you know, I used to drink alcohol on an empty stomach all the time because I didn't want to re- mess my buzz up. You know, or, or a lot of the time we'll, we'll be barbecuing or we, you know, would have been barbecuing and man, there's all kinds of good tries. Or let's say even at an A's game one time, right? I can remember that barbecuing at the game and you're barbecuing up, you know, links and steak and, or tri-tip and, and burgers, whatever the heck it is. You got chips and dip and all kinds of good stuff going down, but I don't eat any of it because Why? I don't want to mess my buzz up, man. If I go, I'm already six, seven beers deep and maybe a little marijuana and maybe some cocaine on some other instances. Who knows what's going on in those days, right? But man, I got all this good food. I don't, I'm hungry. I could probably eat, but I'm not messing this buzz up. Hell no. So I drank on an empty stomach like many of us a lot of times. Unfortunately, this young woman died in her backyard after she had a fatal reaction to drinking alcohol on an empty stomach. God, it's so sad. And I think it's a point of we roll the dice all the time. How many times do you roll the dice drinking and driving or doing excessive amounts of drugs? And, you know, one one bad decision and one, one thing can be fatal for this poor woman. In June, Alice Burton Bradford from uh, Brighton in the UK died suddenly after she suffered from alcoholic ketoacidosis. Wow. A a metabolic complication when combining alcoholic consumption and starvation. So wait a second. Was she on the keto diet? Because I see keto in there and I know there's not a lot of carbs and all kinds of that stuff going on. Man, that is insane and super sad too. 
Her friend, Erin Mulvey, said the death of the otherwise fit and healthy woman was a horrible shock. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had never heard of alcoholic ketoacidosis until she died. We're not sure how much she had been drinking that weekend, but she was not an alcoholic. Um, She had not eaten enough, and it had triggered an acid in her stomach. Wow. Yeah, I'm looking at a picture of her, and she looks pretty thin. She looks like on the thinner side. Um, but super sad. And, and I think it's, like I said, it's another, uh, another tragic case of someone, of someone suddenly dying unexpectedly due to, uh, uh, due to, to drugs or alcohol in this case. And, uh, man, how many times have we rolled the dice and just been, you know, playing with our lives and not even known it and not even cared. I mean, I can't count how many times when I think back, you know, just the amount of stupid decisions I made that I could have been any, any of these people who have ended up dead, you know, that could have been me. And that's kind of the attitude that I think we all should take to some extent in recovery. Like we're so blessed. We're so lucky to still be here and have another shot at it. Whereas so many people, um, you know, have lost their lives to this shit and, and didn't, didn't mean to, they didn't want to lose their life. They were addicted. They were in a bad situation. They made one bad decision and it cost them their life. You know, and uh, man, we, we, we have to stay vigilant in this stuff. Um, devastated nation overdose deaths are skyrocketing. My brother, uh, my brother's was one of them. Um, following an emergency appendectomy in 2012, Matt, then 35, became hooked on painkillers. In a few short years, he progressed from Oxycontin to heroin. He chased them with benzos like Xanax and Clonopin. Man, I can't tell you how many times I mixed all of that stuff together myself, Kalanapins. Remember that one in particular because I passed out one night and Jess was sitting on top of me, like slapping the shit out of me um, because I wouldn't wake up. I was completely out. And uh, I mean, once again, could have been me, could have been you. So let's thank God today, you know, and, and, and let's, let's not just thank God out of selfishness. Let's thank God out of an opportunity to help serve others by talking about this stuff, by helping others, uh, bringing it to light, helping a family member, serving a friend, whatever we can do, you know, in, in honor of, of this man, 43 years old, father of five, another, another statistic, you know, I'm looking at this picture of him right now. Beautiful family, beautiful family, five kids here, man. Three looks like four little girls and a, and a boy, man. They're all young. And, uh, he lost his life. You know, over the past decade, I've been quite an observer of opiate-related data. I skimmed opiate-related headlines with one eye open, open, holding my breath, searching for information on fentanyl outbreaks or promising new treatments. The news was a matter of life and death. Uh, my brother was addicted to heroin. When opiate use increased nationwide, I knew I wasn't alone, uh, even though I felt completely isolated. When trends shifted downward, I held hope that Matt might recover. And our family would find peace again. Well, in our first half of 2020, has seen a marked increase in drug overdoses. Uh, and there's a lot of different factors that this year, of course, because of all that's going on. But the headlines now only haunt me. In May, my brother, a 43-year-old attorney and father of five, became a statistic. He was loving and goofy. He had a mop of thick strawberry hair and a face full of freckles. Our mother said that that's where angels kissed his cheeks on the way in. Growing up in the late 80s, he kept our family of five laughing by quoting entire movies. Tommy Boy was his go-to recitation. Matt was a lot like Chris Farley. 
They had the same enthusiastic, insecure, teddy bear kind of charm as a teen and throughout adulthood, he joyfully followed the Grateful Dead, Fish, and widespread panic. Uh, Diagnosed with attention deficit disorder as a child, Matt started taking Ritalin as a boy, and that never stopped. He became an attorney, departed for 12 hours a day at the office uh, with an amber prescription bottle uh, clutched in his fist, openly celebrating the drug that allowed him to concentrate. Uh, Following an emergency appendectomy in 2012, Matt became, uh, then 35, became hooked on painkillers. In a few short years, he progressed from Oxycontin to heroin. He chased them with benzos like Xanax, Klonopin. His athletic frame became bloated and heavy. His sunny disposition turned lethargic and mean. When he was unable to maintain his law practice, clients left. Although he was admitted to the bar in four states, his licenses expired. His salary trickled down to nothing. The state came after him for back taxes. He eventually left, saying it was a liability to their children. Wow, man. That is just... Walked out on his family, man, because of addiction. Like, just destroyed him. Just fucking robbed his soul. God, it's so sad. Our family life dissolved into a nightmarish cycle of rehabs and relapses. My parents finally cut off monetary support when they found him unconscious in their living room. Fresh off his second stay in rehab. After three tries, Matt told us rehab didn't work and that he did drugs there, too. We sought therapists, psychiatrists, alternative treatments. You can't change me, he told us. You know, this is so sad, too. I'm just going to stop right. I'm going to finish this, actually. This is a great article. And by the way, too, uh, this is uh, written by uh, Jenny Burke, a guest writer um, for uh, HuffPost.com. So I'll put this in the the show notes so you can check it out as well. Uh, But you can't change me, he told us. Soon, Matt's friends and colleagues moved on, embarrassed that he was high on the golf course and nodding off at lunch. Uh, Let me just say... Uh, really fast too. I think this is a great moment just to mention that we can't change people. Uh, we can't fix people. We can talk to somebody till we're blue in the face about what they should do, what what might happen if they don't, you know, what this, that, my experience, all that stuff. And, and if somebody is not ready to get the help that they need, they're not going to get it. And so I get that question often, well, how do I help my spouse or how do I help my son or how do I help this person? And you know, the biggest thing we can do is love them. And that's really difficult sometimes, depending on your situation. I get it. Um, sometimes you got to love from a distance. We can pray. We can meditate. We can hope. Um, you know, we can do all those things. Uh, but, man, we, just, we can't fix people sometimes. And everyone's on their own journey. And Matt, you know, unfortunately was on his own journey. And, and, and he it got cut short. Uh, but... In any case, soon Matt's friends and colleagues moved on embarrassed uh, when he was high on the golf course and nodding off at lunch. He ripped off a plastic bat from a child's hands, or he ripped a a plastic bat from a child's hands and smashed a pinata to bits at a family picnic. As the children plucked bits of candy from the grass, he sped down the driveway in his black sedan, obviously pissed off. Um... My husband insisted I seek counseling since the pressure of constant worry was preventing me from enjoying our own young family. My therapist agreed with my brother. I couldn't change him. I could only change my behaviors in the predictable saga that surrounded me. She warned Matt might die young, but I never imagined we would lose him in the isolation of a pandemic. 
Uh, so let me kind of skim over this and I'll leave the rest. If you'd like to go check it out, it'll be in the, uh, in the show notes here. But, uh, by March, he cut off most communication to his whole family. Uh, he often said his children were, uh, the reason, only reason for his living. Uh, he was unreliable when COVID restrictions hit, uh, his, he lost his, his job, his places to go, his income he used to pay for the room rented in a shared townhouse was gone. Basically lost everything, man. His ex-wife, uh, when his ex-wife called, I think this is the brother speaking, when his ex-wife called on the late night, I knew something was wrong. He'd been found unresponsive, locked in his room. He accidentally overdosed on a cocktail of drugs and included heroin. Oh man, this is not a fun, uh, not a fun one, man. Especially when you look at this picture, but, uh, you know, this is the reality of it. This is the reality of this shit is going on every day in, in, in different cities around the country, around the world that dudes just like Matt who are genuinely, um, you know, for the most part, pretty, pretty good, decent people. And not that somebody who's considered not a decent person, isn't just as worthy of a second chance or a chance either. That's not what I'm saying, but we're seeing this from all different types of backgrounds from poor to rich, uh, to different, uh, races, religions. This shit does not discriminate. Not at all. Doesn't matter where you're from, where you go, what you're doing. I mean, it affects everybody everywhere. And, and this is an example just again of, of losing somebody, um, you know, way too young, super, super sad, uh, in that, in that, right. So if you want to read the, the rest of the article, it's, uh, it's in there, uh, as well. Uh, is anywhere safe from fentanyl U S overdoses, wide regional variations contributing to fatalities, decreasing by more than 50%. Uh, in Philly, District Attorney Larry Krasner followed suit, vowing to no longer charge people for boop, uh, boop. I always have a hard time saying this. Buprenorphine, buprenorphine possession. I don't know why that's so tough. Uh, in New Jersey, the Department of, of Health has created harm reduction centers. If you want to read more about that, that filter mag. Uh, let's see. Zachary Quinto celebrates four years sober. Congrats to that. Uh, arsonist turns life around the man accused of setting fire to a house while intoxicated is now on the path of sobriety and turning his life around for the sake of his daughter. Matthew Hansen now wakes up and prays, lists the things he's grateful for and is committed to online support programs in replacement of AA meetings that have been canceled. That's it at castanet.com. I mean, shoot, you know, you can turn your life around. That's a, that's an example right there. We talked about people who have lost their life. Well, this man, uh, Matthew Hansen, was it looks like a, a an arsonist, a convicted arsonist, had gotten some trouble. Um, I don't know the full background. I'm not going to jump into the whole article right now because we don't have time. But uh, you know, he's been able to turn his life around. Gave it up, um, repented. I'm sure did some uh, some cleaning of house. Got sober, uh, you know, and and now is uh, committed to his daughter and is is locked in in the program has been able to turn his life around. So, uh, there's hope there's always, there's always a chance out there if you choose, uh, if you choose that, uh, but that's, that's the thing. It's up to us. We have to choose it uh, in order for it to, to work. Nobody's going to do it for us. Um, let's see moms and execs who are also recovering alcoholics on getting through this pandemic sober. It looks like it's a video. You can check that out on there. I'm not going to play the video. Uh, let's see. Chad Matson talks impact of sobriety streams, six reasons tracks, his early 20s spent in drug culture. Madison recounted the day he took that small step toward living, uh, toward giving his life back to God and to recovery. 
and uh, he chose to stay sober for almost an entire day in order to attend a Bible study. So there's more on that at American Songwriter. Uh, once again, this link to uh, uh, to Addiction Recovery eBulletin will be in the show notes. You can check all these articles out there. Uh, and I appreciate those guys too. I mean, this is fun. I, I just I, I don't have any personal relationship uh, with the with this platform with uh, Addiction Recovery eBulletin. Um, I get it sent to me. I've met some of the crew there at, at some conferences and stuff here and there. But uh, I, I think it's a great great resource. It's interesting to do a podcast on and, and check out some of the news. So thanks to those guys too. Uh, happy to plug uh, their site and uh, and and go over some of the articles that are posted on there. Uh, we're almost done here. We're gonna wrap it up in just a couple minutes. Um, this one says uh, how one man went from 11 years sober to getting addicted again. Uh, I went to my doctor and got put on antidepressant that uh, that didn't work. So they doubled it. Man, that's just that's so scary. He described and that didn't work in his mind. Keith knew of something that could potentially fix his problems. Guess what that was, folks? Alcohol. Man, that's crazy. 11 years sober to addicted again to alcohol. And I've heard that story. Uh, a couple of different times. I had a, a buddy named Doug when I was in treatment and Doug, let me take a, a quick drink here. The throat's a little dry and my phone just keeps getting blown up right now. I just turn this off here. But, uh, so, so Doug, um, Doug was, uh, in treatment. I met him. He was a little, little, quite a bit older, a few years, probably a decade older than I was, uh, at the time or than I am now. And a super cool, super cool dude, you know, been through a lot of, had a lot of recovery time. I think he had 14 years clean from, from uh, heroin. But when I met Doug, uh, Doug was in rehab for alcohol. And, uh, if I remember correctly, some of his story was, you know, he, he had been in, 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 uh, recovery in NA 14 years clean and he still liked to gamble and go to the casino here and there and stuff. And, and things just kind of started to get away from him. And to make a long story short, he went out to a casino uh, one night and basically his uh, his wife at the time couldn't find him for, for a day or two days. And uh, they eventually found him face down next to his truck in, in a pile of puke, um, you know, because he, he thought that he could drink. Well, you know, heroin is my problem. Drinking is not my problem. And you know, eventually that turned into, um, an alcohol addiction, which landed him back in, in rehab again too. So, uh, we got to be very careful about that. I'm, I'm super like scared of that. If I'm honest, you know, of thinking about that one week moment where I think like I got this and then, uh, all hell will break loose and maybe, um, you know, maybe you don't get a second chance this time. So I think fear is a good thing in that aspect where it kind of helps to keep me in check and keep me, um, aware of that. So if I do start feeling like that, I can reach out to somebody, but, uh, we're not weird for feeling like that either. You know, that's the other thing I want to say to think about, man, what if, you know, um, I don't, it's not something I enjoy to do. I don't try to do it, but I also give myself grace on it and understand that that's kind of part of it. And I have to be, um, open to, uh, to addressing it, you know, otherwise, you know, you, you have 11 years or you have 14 like Doug or, or like this guy, Keith, uh, all of a sudden the doctors put him on these antidepressants and he's like, fuck this, this isn't working. I'll just drink, you know, and, and then, and then there it is. So, uh, man, interesting stuff for sure. Um, let's see any, anything else. I mean, there's a whole bunch of articles on here. I can't get to all of them. I'm not going to try to dive into them, but check it out. FDA doctors, uh, FDA tells doctors to discuss overdose antidote with patients. 
death by overdose or death by ventilator. Uh, it looks like it's by Ryan Hampton. Ryan's actually been on this show quite a while ago, a couple years ago. Uh, he's written that it's at the medium. Um, let's see. People are turning to alcohol amid high unemployment, man. That is let's, let's check this one out real quick here. I'm interested in this one in particularly because I have been, uh, looking at stats and statistics on mental health. I talked a little bit about it in the past couple of episodes, uh, you know, just about how this whole thing has been affecting people's mental health, um, how it seems like some of the solutions are worse than the actual problem. And uh, it looks like here's some more evidence to, to kind of support that on the heels of the latest unemployment, unemployment numbers, a new study points to those struggling are turning more to alcohol to cope in Iowa and Nebraska. One in five people recently unemployed said they're drinking more often According to a recent study out of the American Addiction Centers, we really want this to be a wake-up call for people to look at their own behavior and say, hmm, what's going on with me? And I do find that I'm actually drinking more during lockdown as well, said Joy Sutton with American Addiction Centers. Uh, Sutton notes the concern is people may not even realize they're losing control. It just becomes something we're doing, but not even realizing the seriousness of what can happen if we continue to do that over time. Uh, slipping in, into addiction is something members of AA can relate to. There are many people in the rooms of 12-step, excuse me there, uh, who had been there and know exactly where they are and what they're thinking. Um, keeping with social distancing guidelines, 12-step uh, meetings have successfully moved online with new members continuing to join. I will say it's not the same. Uh, in, in my own experience, um, I really, really miss the social interaction. And, and I just want to say too, I'm not like, I wasn't like one of the people who, and not there's anything wrong with these people, right or wrong or good or bad or anything. I'm just saying this wasn't me like where I was at meetings every day. Uh, but I do go to meetings. I did go to meetings and that, that social interaction versus, um, the online meetings, which are still extremely useful. I, I definitely recommend them. That's why I, I plug them on the show and have them in sober guy site as resources. Um, I do them. I, I go to them myself, but they're, they are, they're not the same as, as a, uh, you know, an in-person face-to-face social interaction. It's just different, you know, and I hope that one day we can get back to those as soon as, you know, as soon as we can. But uh, for right now, you know, digital spaces is, is where it's at. Uh, but it says in the meetings I'm involved and we're getting new people every week. It's just not those who love jobs, who lost jobs, who are struggling. A reported 10% increase has been noticed since the pandemic and people calling for help. So you can see right there, 10% increase. Um, I know there's a huge increase in alcohol sales. I don't have those stats in front of me, but I know that's a fact. Um, and, uh, and the pressures of the pandemic are pushing more and more people towards substance abuse. So, um, man, just reach out. If you need help, if you, if you find yourself in a position or you're questioning, like, what can I do? I mean, there's resources on sober guy, go to that sober You can reach out to, uh, to, uh, promises. Um, you know, all, all those resources, there's zoom meetings on there. Uh, if you got friends, you got family. I mean, just reach out to somebody. It's, it's not an easy time right now. I can't imagine trying to stay sober and get sober. Uh, well, I can imagine trying to stay sober because I actively uh, have to practice that, but more or less trying to get sober right now, um, man, that would be, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tough task with, uh, with all that's going on. So, um, you know, let's, let's end on this. Here's a quick shout out, uh, 
uh, uh, to Ben and Jen Randolph from Oregon Trail Recovery. I actually met these guys uh, out at one of the uh, uh, foundations conferences a couple years back, I think in Nashville. We may have met in Nashville and then maybe in, in San Diego. I think I ran into them again too, but um, they they run Oregon Trail Recovery up in obviously Oregon, uh, in Oregon City. Um, they're both in recovery themselves. Uh, Jen's story, it says, like her husband, Ben, by the time Jen Rudolph reached sobriety, she had lost so much, including her son. Her family was well-known and liked in Oregon City, and uh, even the public shame of arrest could not get her sober. So uh, it goes on to uh, to tell a little bit more about their story, about Oregon Trail recovery, how that came to be, how they turned around to turn their lives around and then go on to help uh, many, many people. So shout out to Ben, shout out to Jen. Uh, I know they're good folks. Uh, their their son would attend the meeting, and he was a he was a hilarious little dude who had a ton of energy. There goes a very loud motorcycle driving by. Hopefully, he was doing a wheelie because that would have been badass. Um, loud per in any case, but still, um, yeah. Oregon Trail Recovery, Ben, Jen, shout out to you guys. If you want to check that article out, it's in there as well, uh, too. So uh, that's gonna wrap it. Oh, you know what, dude? I'm totally tripping right now. I didn't even get to. Where did that go? Uh, hold on here. I didn't even get to the uh, the the whole title of the episode. I tried to end early here. And what am I thinking here? Let's go over this. The five worst things you can do for your body. I don't know. Maybe we won't title it that. Maybe we'll have to change. Maybe we'll change the title. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But let's go over this really quick. Sitting too much. This comes from actually from Women's Fitness Magazine. But I thought it was interesting. Even though I'm not a woman, I know we have a lot of women listeners out there. And I think it applies to both women and men. So uh, here we go. Number one, sitting too much. Uh, Americans sit now more than ever and during uh, any time in history with the average office worker sitting 15 hours a day. Even if you reg- uh, exercise regularly, It's not enough to counteract spending your other walking hours in a chair, waking hours in a chair. Standing up to stretch and take a brisk walk around the office will do wonders for your body and for your long-term health. Don't believe us. Believe in this. Sitting more than 11 hours a day increases your risk of premature death by 40%. Holy shit. That's a pretty big increase. So get your ass up and walk around. Number two, not staying hydrated. This is a big one. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take a big drink of water right now in honor of staying hydrated. You do the same thing if you got some agua there. You can hear the little squeak out of the Yeti there. Nice and cold. Water does so much more than quench our thirst. It transports oxygen and nutrients to our muscles and organs while eliminating waste products. If you're the type who gets bored drinking plain water, switch it up with hydrating alternatives. Juices, smoothies, coconut water, herbal teas uh, are flavorful ways to hit that eight-a-day mark. Number three uh, of five things that will ruin, I'm sorry, the five worst things you can do for your body, or they'll probably ruin your body too, uh, drug and alcohol abuse. Hey, the whole theme of this show, this whole platform. Alcohol in moderation is fine, and even lengthen and might even lengthen your lifespan is what it says here. But I'm going to go ahead and say, if you're in any type of recovery, you know that 
Uh, for many of us, uh, I'll speak for myself, I can't moderate my alcohol. That's why I don't drink it. Uh, but hey, for the normies out there who can have a beer or whatever, that's that's on them. You know, that's something that uh, they can do responsibly. Uh, we're talking no more than one drink a day for women or two or fewer daily drinks for men. Yeah, daily, that sounds like a little bit of an issue to me, but... I'm going to go ahead and overlook that right now because I'm just trying to read this article. But overindulging in alcohol is leading contributor to an unhealthy lifestyle. Even drugs that don't seem that bad, in quotes, it says, like marijuana can damage your health if used in excess. Many who struggle with drug or alcohol addiction need professional help to break these unhealthy habits. The best drug rehab programs not only help you through the detox, but provide you tools you need to stay clean long term. Uh, number four, sleep deprivation. Not getting enough sleep can do far worse than make you sluggish or cranky the next day. Uh, it can make you more prone to catching a cold or the flu. It can wreck your concentration and raise your blood pressure. You might also consume more calories, leading to weight gain and other health issues. Uh, if you're regularly getting the less than recommended seven to nine hours a night, uh, it's time to make some lifestyle changes. Yeah, sleep is a big one, man. I think it's something I over overlook sometimes because I'm like, oh, I can roll on five hours, you know, and, and sometimes I can, uh, you know, it's I, I, I do it, you know, but six, six is cool. I can do six. Okay. But man, seven hours, eight hours is really ideal. And I, I definitely can't tell the difference when I get a good night's sleep. So something I've been trying to pay a little bit more attention to. Uh, okay. So here's the last one. I think this is the most important. Well, they're all important. This is an important one for me. This is a really big one for me. You all know about, for those who listen to the show, about my cherry pie addiction and my my sugar struggles and, and sweets and that kind of stuff. Uh, this number five says eating and drinking sugar. Uh, sugar is linked to diabetes, cancer, and a host of other problems that you don't want. Even if you skip dessert and you don't add sugar to your coffee, it's lurking in most sauces and processed foods. Don't overlook the sugar content in your favorite drinks either. Beers and sugary cocktails are loaded with calories that lead to bloating and weight gain. You're not any better off with diet drinks either as aspartame and other sugar substitutes carry their own risks. Reducing or even eliminating sugar from your diet is a sure step towards better health. So good stuff there. You can check the link out. Uh, I put that in the show notes if you'd like to look at this uh, uh, article yourself. Uh, feel free to do that. Once again, um, if you go to uh, addictionrecoveryebulletin.org, you can check out all that good stuff there. Uh, man, I love you guys. I appreciate you guys. Uh, thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for all your support. Once again, uh, if you want to reach out, you can hit us up uh, at Real That Sober Guy on Instagram, at Shane Raymer on Twitter. Go to thatsoberguy.com if you need any resources, information. We got the How to Navigate the First 90 Days of Sobriety digital course on there. There's some cool hoodies and hats, all kinds of stuff. Thank you guys. I love you. Uh, have a great day, night, whatever you're doing right now. Peace, love, and respect, and keep your blood clean. <laughs>